Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio and YouTube Podcast, streamed live from the heart of Washington, D.C. Here, you'll find a portal to vibrant voices, echoing souls, and an ongoing celebration of the extraordinary power of language. So, prepare yourself to join host Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram and his special guests as they explore traditional and spoken word forms of poetry. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio and YouTube. And my very special guest tonight is Margaret R. Sadako. Margaret is an extraordinary storyteller, writer, and poet whose work spans poetry, fiction, and memoir. Her pieces have been featured in various anthologies and literary journals, and she has served the poetry editor for the Platform Review. Margaret's contributions extend beyond writing. She also taught middle school for 27 years, retiring in 2022. She has published two poetry collections with Human Era Publishing, and lives in Montclair, New Jersey with her husband, Alex, who illustrated her latest work, Even the Dog Was Quiet. Margaret, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Michael. I'm so thrilled to be here. And thank thank you you for doing this podcast. It's just so amazing that you do this. (laughs) Well, like I said, you're one of my favorite people, (laughs) one of my favorite authors. I enjoy working with you, and I want to find out more about your latest work. Even the dog was quiet. All right? Let's begin this journey. What inspired you to write this book? So um, I think about the, the kind of poetry that I love always pulls me in a little bit, and then it makes me look and reflect back at my own life. So I started to gather some of my own work because I have hundreds of poems that are still in process, but they're all, you know, in, on my computer in my life that, have, uh, that can be gleaned from. You know, I can grab them in. And I started to look for poems that caught me looking. Um, and I discovered along the way that it was starting to form like a memoir in, in a poetic form. So um, I decided to gather those moments and start to put them together. And it's, of course, it's a process, as you know. Uh, what I started with is not what I ended up with, but I kept looking for something that was almost just holding back a moment. And I felt like I could get underneath a little bit more. And yeah, that's how I started to, to put, pull this work together. So you were looking for a moment Tell me more about that. Flesh that out for me just a bit more. So in the, even the, there's a poem called Risk, which the, the line in the poem, even the dog was quiet, comes from. And I'll read it later tonight. Yes. Um, it, it really, when I, when I read this poem, it's all of this stuff is going on. And then it kind of makes me like weak in the knees to think about where I was when I wrote that poem, it was a, it was a risk and it was uh, dangerous for me. And it was interesting because even I read it now after I've written it and I've 
worked on it. I get to the line, even the dog was quiet, and I, I, I still can feel a little bit weak and lightheaded from it, you know, because it's really about, um, you know, we kind of walk through our lives. And we, you never know, like, I always wake up thinking, well, what will the day bring? You never know how you'll be detoured or if you stay on your path or if it'll just be kind of a normal day or what will change. And I think as a poet and a writer, I'm always looking for that. And so a, a lot of these, the work in this collection, and some of it is funny and some of it is quite serious and some of it is sad and encompasses a lot of grief, but are those moments when I just want to hold on to. It's almost like a hushed overtone that, I'm, now, that I saw in this collection. Is there an existential bit overarching the entire book in terms of thinking about life? Ah, that's a good question. Um, everything, so for me, um, I've always felt, and I know this is a very common thing, that a life reached not, not reflected upon is not worth living. So I'm always trying to go a little deeper and very spiritual. I have a lot of spiritual parts of myself that end up in my writing. Um, so I'm always thinking about that. I'm always thinking about that on two different levels, especially with the existential piece about um, like, like almost looking at my life from a different perspective. Isn't that what we get to do as writers really is that we, we can kind of look at it from a different place and a different time and say, Oh, that's interesting. Look where I was back then and look where yes. I am now. I think that's where right. I think that's where it was going. Right. Even the oh. dog was tired. <laughs> when I first right, right. <laughs> saw the title, I was like, Wow <laughs> What has that dog gone through? <laughs> what is he saying? <laughs> Tell me about oh, the title. The title. So um the short story behind the poem Risk that it comes from mm -hmm. is that my, my friend and I, Katie, were driving to Boulder, Colorado, I think it was 1991, in a Chevy Chevette. And I was certainly running away from my problems in my life, in my young life that I had already encountered. And Katie had her dog with her. And he was like a, he was a, he was a mutt, you know, his Katie, um, his dog's name was Gretchen. Gretchen was great. Um, so there were three of us stuffed into this little Chevette on a very strange adventure driving from New York to Colorado. And um, I guess you could say that the title, Even the Dog Was Quiet, comes from the bad feeling I had taking this risk. I knew it was not a great idea what we were doing, but I didn't know how to get out of it. At the time, we were, when we made the phone call to the folks in Denver who we didn't know, um, and asked if we could just stay with them because we didn't know anybody else. It was a friend of a friend, which is in the poem. Um, it, was, it was weird. And we didn't know if we were going to be okay or not. Um, but, you know, risks can be good for the soul and spirit. Many that are not so great. So this the comes from that. So the, the, it's supposed to encompass the combination of both the good and the bad experiences from those kinds of um, yeah, experiences. <laughs> so the cover yeah. itself, tell me about the design. How was the cover created? So, oh, so that was pretty cool. So my husband, Alex Polner, is an artist. And if anybody's in, this, in the New Jersey area, he has a show at the Gallon 
gallery at the JCC Metro West um, that's going on now until February 25th. I'm sorry, a little a little public service announcement there. Yes. <laughs> the cover no is actually called the <laughs> the cover is actually called the crossing. Um, it, it's a pastel drawing or painting, he likes to say. So he's an, uh, he does uh, pen and ink, he does uh, drawing, painting, uh, he's amazing. Um, and I knew I wanted him to do this cover. My daughter did the cover for my first book, but we, he and I had been talking about like what we wanted to do. And he started to draw this, a telephone booth, um, which is in the poem risk, I'm at a telephone calling. And it wasn't working for some reason. And he pulled this out and he said, what about this? And, we, and there was something about the colors that I really loved because um, they're muted um, and there's lots of them, but the crossing is at a railroad, at the railroad tracks. And there's something about uh, railroad tracks that I also find to be very intriguing. I love to travel, so I love them for mm -hmm. that. But over the years, I've known many souls have their lives crossing them. Yes. You know, so there's this weird thing. They can be very exciting. They can be very dangerous. And even when we were teaching our children to drive stick shift, I would, mm -hmm. I would rarely take them over the train tracks because I was terrified they were going to spill out. So, yes. you know, very <laughs> oh, I understand. Right? I know those days. Yeah. Right? So, and they, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, you know, it, <laughs> it really fits. Because it gave you that that double piece again, you know, like because it feels abandoned and not, it feels kind of eerie and not, and that's what I wanted. I wanted the two pieces of that. So Alex did the, that cover, and he also did eight um, drawings inside the book to separate it out as well. So we did um, all of that, but it was a it when I when we looked at it together, we went, wow, this is it, you know. So he reads all my work as well, you know. So. He was very familiar with what I was trying to create, which is really helpful when you're trying to do a cover. Do it with somebody that knows your work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? true. So, and here, but, here's one short story for you. When I was 16 yeah, go, and my dad was teaching me how to drive, he had a blue Lincoln Continental. <laughs> and we were crossing oh, wow. the railroad tracks. <laughs> and somehow I oh, swerved no. in the little ditch. <laughs> oh. On the track. Oh my God. Oh, oh our my relationship God. never recovered. Our relationship <laughs> <laughs> never recovered, and I'm oh, 60 no. years old. <laughs> so that was trigger trauma when you brought that up. Tell your husband that. That was trigger trauma. Yeah. All right? <laughs> He's listening, so he knows. <laughs> oh my God. That's we worked it out somehow. We worked right? it out, but. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God, that's crazy. All right, okay. Let me calm down. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that was a flashback and not a Green, good one. Michael, right? so, back to the book. So when you think about the predominant themes that you write about, and you talked about some, flesh that out for us too. If there are three things that you view as being predominant, over-predominant, that you'd like us to know about. So I think that the themes, and you know, it's funny, I don't really think about it. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I work more viscerally, I guess, as I'm putting it together. Um, yes. But I, for me, when I look back at it, it's family, love, and personal growth. And mm -hmm. how do they not interact, right? Isn't it all the same piece? Um, I think it is. Um, mm -hmm. So 
the stories are unique, um, and I'm hoping that they like resonate with the readers that they can find themselves in that as well, you know, but I think those are the three themes. Um, they just keep popping up, you know, and if, and if it is memoir based, it also makes sense that it would be love, family, and personal growth, right? right. Yeah, so I think those are my All three right. themes. Very nice. Margaret, let's hear some of your work. Oh, sure. So um, the first poem, and I, I try to do it mostly in order in the book so you could get a feeling of the, the growth, the li literally growing up. First one is called Cookies. My feet dangle from the chair. The doctor's office is cold. I stare at my reflection in the shiny metal table legs. Walk again from the watch. She requires cookies in her shoes. I like cookies, but in my shoes, I cover my mouth, shut my smell back inside. Mama isn't laughing, stares at my feet. We drive from the office. Are we going home? No, you need cookies. I can taste cookies dripping chocolate icing, and we pass the hospital, my school, the market, movie theater, courthouse, and piano store. We pull up to the curb. I look out the car window. Buster Brown? Is that the bakery? Holding hands, we go in. It's filled with brown and black shoes that smell like grandma's old leather bag left out in the rain. I squeeze my nose. A shoe man says hello. Mama explains about the cookies. Oh, you have flat feet, he says. Mama winces like someone pinched her. The man puts something inside the shoes. I wiggle my toes and try to take them off. Mama says, stop. The ugly black shoes with laces on my feet look like daddy's work boots and they hurt. The man says, walk from here to the door. I breathe in my mama's ear, inhale her gardenia perfume. I don't want those shoes. I want Mary Jane's. I point to shiny black patent leather pair with a strap, the kind my friend Sandy wears to church. Mama tells the man, we'll take the ones with the cookies. Mama frowns when he rings up the shoes. Smiling, he puts them in a box and hands them to me. I look at my feet. I won't take it. She says, I will have to wear them, runs her fingers through my hair. My eyes sting. My head hurts. My face is burning. I climb in the back seat of the car, lie down, curl my toes under until my feet hurt, and pretend to sleep. Mama wakes me up, opens the car door, and I smell it before I see it. She takes my hand. I want the round ones, I tell her, with jam inside and sprinkles on the outside. Skipping to the bakery, my feet barely touch the ground. So the next one is called uh, Young Apprentice, and I was about a little older, about the same age. At seven, I stretch wool for my aunt, seating, sitting on a wooden stool in front of her. She places a twisted skein over my hands, 12 inches apart, arranges my body to keep the yarn taut. I learn two stitches, knit and purl, enough to make ugly warm scarves and blankets. The itchy wool irritates my hands, but then I look at my smiling aunt and ignore my discomfort. My aunt knits and crochets, her fingers form a language, blurring yarn into fantastic designs. 
When I leave, we arrange the wool on top of her special wooden box with two spokes and run all the way home, curious why my aunt needed me to hold the yarn if she could attach it to her box. At home, I sit by my mother and her singer machine, attach my yarn to an upside down chair. The needles are too large for my tiny hands. I yank out knots while my mother reaches to help, laughs at my entanglement. My aunt and grandmother teach me patience, one loop at a time. Mom prefers the speed of her machine, but spends hours sewing, ripping, remaking garments until almost perfect. When I hear of another friend diagnosed with cancer, I have an urge to buy colorful yarn and knitting needles, find someone to hold the yarn so I can unravel it slowly, carefully undoing knots, creating something, anything, one loop at a time. And the, um, the third one in this set, Michael, is Risk. And this is where the title of the, the uh, collection comes from. I told the guy who answered the phone all those years ago, we were 30 minutes outside Denver, needed a place to stay for the night, maybe longer. The rest area payphone was cleaner than the ones back east. There was no scent of urine, and the plastic booth wasn't scratched with someone's initials and lopsided hearts of misbegotten lovers. I wiped the mouthpiece with a tissue, even though it smelled like cleanser. I preferred the earthy odor of people's germs. The guy that answered the phone was a friend of a friend. I called him John. He said his name was Radar with a New York accent. John was his roommate. He said, come by, you can sleep in the basement. I didn't mention the dog and hung up the phone. Katie and I stood by my 77 brown Chevette, deciding if we should do this or not. Two 20-year-olds driving for 24 hours, calling strangers from the road. Why were we here? Even the dog was quiet. Thank you, Michael. That's that first step. Wow. Even the dog was quiet. Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I'd like you to choose one of those three poems to share again, if you don't mind. I love hearing them twice. Okay. I'll reread Risk. <clears throat> Risk. I told the guy who answered the phone all those years ago, we were 30 minutes outside dead for the night, maybe longer. The rest area payphone was cleaner than the ones back east. There was no scent of urine, and the plastic booth wasn't scratched with someone's initials and lopsided hearts of misbegotten lovers. I wiped the mouthpiece with a tissue, even though it smelled like cleanser. I preferred the earthy odor of people's germs. The guy that answered the phone was a friend of a friend. I called him John. He said his name was Radar with a New York accent. John was his roommate. Yeah, he said, come by. You can sleep in the basement. I didn't mention the dog and hung up the phone. Katie and I stood by my 77 brown Chevette deciding if we should do this or not. Two 20-year-olds driving for 24 hours, calling strangers from the road. Why were we here? Even the dog was quiet. That's you know, it packed the punch. Well, it packed the, packed the punch the first time and the second time even more so. So when you think about that particular poem, 
Which yeah. lines do you feel most proud of writing, or which lines do you feel challenged you the most while writing? Interesting. I think that um, I absolutely love the description of the payphone because uh, mm-hmm. I was used to, you know, New York City payphones. Mm-hmm. And um, this one was cleaner, and it didn't feel right, you know. Um, I always love the. <laughs> I like that line too. It's true, right? Like I know, right? Um, it's uh, you know, I, I grew up on Long Island, but I spent a lot of time in New York City, and I wasn't using payphones on Long Island. The only ones I knew were in the city, so this was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think that lopsided hearts of misbegotten lovers. I l- always loved that phrase. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it went through the the poem went through a lot of iteration. Um, it was hard. I, probably some of these poems in here I've been working on for years, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I like that it came out short and really moved through the story with that undercurrent of how scared we were, you know, yes. about what we were doing. And you know, so, we weren't even saying anything. We were exhausted. <laughs> oh, understandable. <laughs> Understandable. So, <laughs> so during this election process, as you say, I'm sure there are many poems that you had to choose from. How did you decide which poems to to put into the book? What got in? What didn't? Um, I think um, as I was reading through my work, and I just mentioned that some have been written years ago. Much some were much more recent. Um, I saw that they were telling a story. I found that certain ones were telling a very particular story. So I started to follow that Mm storyline, like if I was writing a memoir. I do write a little bit of memoir pieces, and um, I I like that uh, form. And I started to think, well, maybe that's where I'm going. Um, Even when I was compiling my last book, I I read each poem to see if there were connections between the pieces, and I started to place them together until it made sense or didn't. Um, You know, it's funny. I just had so much work. It actually makes it harder to do something like this. So then once I came up with a list, I showed it to my, my daughter, Eliza, my son, Cody, and my husband, Alex, because they're like, and then my other writer friends, who also, mm-hmm. I've been working with some of them for years, and said, like, what do you think works here? Is this working? And since they know my work so well, they say, no, no, put in this piece, take out that one. And we started to play this like little game with it. Yeah, you know, Of course, I've got author's chair, so I get to make the last decision. Um, and then I sent it out when I thought I was really good. And of course, I work with my publisher, Paul um, Richmond, who's been on this yes. show um, yes. at Great Human Error Publishing. And he's, uh, he's great. Like he says, he's not going to you know, say anything one way or another. And then he says, yeah, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> he advice exactly what I want. You know, I, I, that's why I like collaborating. So, you know, I love that part. Um, and we have a great working relationship. So I can really ask him and he'll tell me exactly what he thinks. That's who Paul is. So I love that. Um, so that's, that's how I did it. And until it felt like it worked, I, I think I really do work quite viscerally. So I, I go for feeling and, mm-hmm. you know, gosh, how many times can you read your own book over and over and over again? I did it many, multiple times, dozens of times, probably hundreds so, of times until it felt right. Wow. So, Wow. So is it divided, is the book divided into sections? 
I mean, um, yeah, it is. Talk and, about I, and the reason I did that, yeah, it's um, I haven't done something like that before. Uh, mm-hmm. But I love. I really wanted to include some of Alex's uh, drawings inside the books because he's so good, yes. and and it like I I love that partnering of visual and written art forms. Um, so started to. I actually wrote some very small poems, or I had some. Both were true, and I wanted to break up the book because Paul and I always talk about how there has to be some air in the book as well that you can't just have like so many words and so much and so much. You've got to give people a chance to breathe. Yes. Um, and so I thought, well, what if we break it up with a, a drawing, a small poem, and then continue a section? And um, since I was kind of doing it, like I, I, made, I did make a jump there. I went from six or seven to, I think I was 21 when I drove out to Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. I still, in the book, I'm doing it pretty much by age. So I'm, I'm going in these like chunks. So I, I created those, you know, sometimes it was pretty seamless and sometimes it was a little bit more difficult, but Alex's work, uh, he, and he did the same thing. He pulled some of his drawings and then he created some of his drawings. So we worked a lot on that, but you know, we've worked artistically together for many years. So it was, it was great to work together on this. So yeah, you know, pretty fun. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, providing the reader air to breathe. Well, let me ask this question. Did you want the readers to breathe or did you want them to experience what you experienced where it may have been that you didn't have room to breathe? That's, just a, That's question. a good question. We're <laughs> <laughs> good at this. Um, oh, oh. Hey, Margaret. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, um, I do a lot of yoga too, and I do a lot of meditation. So breath is actually very important in my life. And so, yes, you're right. I want people to catch their breath and somehow like that kind of a feeling in some of the work. But if you don't find the spaces in between the, to, to find your breath, then it's hard to move forward. And I, I read a lot. I read a lot of poetry, um, of course. And sometimes, like, what people are writing are, is very intense. And I have to put the book down and say, I have to give myself a minute to make sure that I can come back into it. And I do, you know, especially for poets. I will always do that. But I wanted, somewhere in me, I wanted that experience that if someone wanted to read my book from the beginning to the end, they would be able to do that without having to put the book down. I think that's what I was going for. Wow. You know, like you, I, wow. <laughs> I, I practice meditation. I'm in a, I've been in a class for the last four or five years. And prior to every episode, mm. I take a number of deep breaths just to, to center myself so that I can be ready for what's going to happen because it's live and you never know. <laughs> so, oh, wow. But, yeah, yeah. Margaret, as you know, this is a call-in show, and there's someone on the line who may have a question okay. for you. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Uh-oh. All right. The first three numbers are 917. You're on the air with Margaret. Good evening. Hello? I'm ready. Good evening. Hello? 
short and the second one is rather long and I don't usually read it because it's longer so since we have time um, I will read it the first one is called between the sheets we find each other between the sheets he is 35 I am 17 not quite boyfriend and girlfriend I am his relief a body to caress explore envelop while he downs vodka, rye, numbs veteran pain. We make love and shadow through Hendrix, Credence and Cream. Vibrations electrify our bodies. Rhythms intensify our act. Eyes shut, nightmares return. He forgets me. Holds dispirited memories beneath lap lines. Slow, careful, waiting like a good soldier. Can I be trusted? He speaks to me back in the jungle, the sound of rain, helicopters, gunfire, sight of fires, dead bodies, American and Viet Cong, rest rifles by their side, pass with bottles of whiskey, play cards before dawn breaks, climb out of holes, just two in the jungle, guns leveled, set to kill, lower weapons walk away. His words fall on our bed, gray shards now next to my inexperienced and young body, mournful and scared. I rock him in my arms. He gets up, quietly pours drinks, lights joints and cigarettes, strokes my hair. I drift off to sleep as he whispers in my ear, promising to keep watch. And the next one actually occurs in the book before this one. I was, I I was about 17, uh, called Less Than Nothing. My first day on the job, we punched time cards before sunrise, sit at industrial tables cleared of dust and examine x-ray film for defects on large viewers in a dark room. Rosalie, my seatmate in her 30s, carries a conventional name for an old-fashioned gal but swears artfully in her don't fuck with me Long Island calibres. She plunks herself down at her workstation, removes her jacket, then her shirt, short, flowery sandals, and whispers, no one can see me. My eyes adjust. She is not invisible. I see her sagging plump body and sun-starved skin. She tells me to take my clothes off. I laugh, then decline. I look around the factory floor. Some undo a button, roll up sleeves, tie shirt tails at the waist, remove shoes, their ghostly complexions reflecting factory chemicals they inhale 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. 
Minutes creep by, breathing labored as bodies shift on squeaky steel chairs with padded seats, scanning for scratches on film. Slowly, I slip into monotony along with dozens of women. Eyes burn, back screams, and body cries for light as I remove my sandals, just my sandals, sit cross-legged on the cold industrial chair. My second day on the job, Eddie, the manager hired to walk the factory floor as a girl, leans on my table. I'm proud to be Irish guy with sandy hair and mustache that blends with his institutional beige uniform and sex up in What I tell you about sitting like Rosalie? Ah, Eddie, Rosalie says, batting her eyes. Eddie rolls his back into his pocket and turns his attention to me. You want to help me write reports? A promotion, I ask, blushing. The women around me not guessing people's the same pay. I agree, ignoring stares, including Rosalie's, who swears under her breath. Reddening again, I focus on the film. Eddie doesn't have a girlfriend. I have a boyfriend. We tell stories, laugh at bad jokes, flirt, share breakfast, eat lunch, swig slowly, nap on flattened cardboard mountains stacked to the ceiling. I do my job quickly in his office, the same time it takes him to walk the floor, uh, a daily routine. Then we are done for the day. No one is watching over me except him. Three months later, I tell Eddie it's my last day. I'm here to pick up my check. Not sure if we should hug or shake hands. Yeah, well, see ya, he says, and walks back onto the factory floor. Years later, I hear that hazardous waste drums are discovered in open pits in the parking lot where Rosalie parked her moped and the rest of us toiled in darkness. I imagine Eddie walking the dark room floor marking time, year in and year out, drinking solely alone or with someone, misbehaving behind closed doors, daring to be caught. What happened to all those people who worked in the dark? Thank you, Michael. You know, it's funny, when I read the book, those two poems stood out. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so to hear oh, you read funny. them was really a treat. We're going to take oh, a brief you. second, just a couple of seconds for you to breathe, and we'll be oh, right good. back. Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Margaret R. Setico. Margaret, (laughs) (laughs) I won't ask you to read either one again, (laughs) but were there any lines in either one? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Were there any lines in either of them that really made you proud that you had an opportunity to write them or lines that you felt like, wow, this is quite challenging for the world to read? 
So it was challenging because it's very revealing uh, for me. In order for mm -hmm. this to really come through, I had to show how vulnerable I could be in that situation and how intimate it was because mm -hmm. he wouldn't show other people this at all uh, of, the, of the other people that we would be around. So that was the hardest part. But um, yeah, he. I think that the line um, that I really worked on a lot was that when his nightmares return, he forgets me, holds dispirited memories beneath laugh lines, slow, careful, waiting like a good soldier, can I be trusted? Wow. That was, that was the piece that really set the poem in motion for me. Yes. Yeah. You know, with the second oh. longer one, <laughs> with the, the second longer one, longer one <laughs> I, could, I could picture the second, oh, I could picture both, but the, first, the second one, just the, 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 the office atmosphere, I could see it. Back in the day, mm -hmm. totally different than it is yeah. now for all of us. So I can imagine what that was like. Yeah, that's Any good. And, and you know, it started out, I think, as a short story. And I kept thinking, no, I, I got to write it as a poem. That one mm -hmm. needed to become a poem in order for it to work. Um, mm -hmm. It was very, yeah, you know, and not an uncommon experience, really. But, uh, you know, as I think we were speaking earlier, you and I, it's like, what, what experience have I had that, um, you know, I, I, I think about, they just come back every once in a while into my consciousness now. Those mm -hmm. are the things that I end up writing about. I had to write about Rosalie. She was just well, you know, such a character. <laughs> <laughs> there was a movie in 1957, I think the title was Desk Set, with Catherine Hepburn oh, yeah. and Spencer Tracy. Yeah. And it was about yeah, automating yeah. an office. <laughs> and that came to mind. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, this is factory floor. So factories have, I've, I, I did a, uh, my friend Paul Rabinowitz, I think, who might have been on your show too. Yes, Paul was on the show. Yes, yes, yeah. he was. I remember Paul. Um, we did some kind of project together at one point, uh, just kind of playing around with stuff uh, to like present ourselves as artists, like who we are as artists. And I made a list of all the jobs I've ever worked. Oh my God, I've worked so many um, mostly because I was also in the theater. Um, yes. And so you always had like three or four jobs. I've never had less than three jobs at any given time. Even retired, I have more than one job. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a poet's wealth, you know? It yes. really is. So that's what yes. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. when you write a poem, who leads, yeah. Margaret? Who leads? You or the poem? Um, that's another one of those questions, isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a good question. Um, when I write a poem, so sometimes what happens is um, I have something in mind and it will start to come out. Um, but my most success I have, I think, with not so much the least amount of revisions, but often the fastest track to where I'm trying to get to is when I really don't have something in mind and I write where I am. And then as I'm writing, things start to come out that are in my subconscious. Yeah. Um, actually, Michael, you know, I do a lot of it. I used to do, I, I'm gonna go back to it again, but I would do a meditation 
mm-hmm. and then come out of the meditation and go right into the writing. Mm. It was well, it was such a trip to see what comes out. I've won a couple of workshops like that too for people, and it's really fascinating because you get out of your own way. So some of these poems, like I said, the, the, the Less Than Nothing started out as a short story, and I knew it wasn't working as a short story. I wanted it to pack a bigger punch in a shorter amount of time. Could have been flash mm-hmm. fiction, I guess. Um, but I, that, it was a different process. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I write comes out of where I just say, okay, I'm out of my way. What's, what's going on? And just start yes. writing. The title, the title, I mean, is so, so strong, so visceral in a sense for me as I, as I think about it. So when that particular poem and the title, what came first, the title or the poem? I mean, I could just see sitting with a title like that forever, waiting to do something. Yeah, with yeah. Yeah, between the sheets, actually, I, I think that the, the poem came first. I don't, I'm not the best with titles. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes it comes out and it just comes. Sometimes I write the poem and then... I will give it a working title and know it's a working title because I, I can't do untitled. Um, that drives me crazy because then I don't know okay. what I'm looking for when I'm looking on my computer at a yes. thousand untitled poems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which one is this? Um, <laughs> but then I really, it, I, I ask for like feedback from people and stuff about titles because I think it's so important. Um, and I think Alex and I worked on this title together. I think we worked on it um, or I, I just had a lot of, thoughts about it um, mm-hmm. but it was definitely the poem that came first for this one and then it made sense right that where are your secrets kept you so know, that poem and the title is whiff right yes. and then the even the dog was tired at the end of the poem am i correct i think so as i oh, listen even the dog was quiet Quiet, quiet. You get the concept. You get, you get the concept. Work with me, Margaret. Work with me. It's been a long life. Work with me. I'm on a roll, Margaret. I'm on a roll. That poem, um, I, there were many iterations of that poem, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the last line came out. And when the line came out, I knew that was the title of the poem. But when I was looking, uh, I think I first started assembling this as, uh, for a contest somewhere. You know, you, you mm-hmm. start to put things together. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, my God, that's the title of the new manuscript, whatever oh. it is. And then once I had that title, I thought, well... What does that really mean? It's all of that pulling back. So mm-hmm. you're still laughing. <laughs> no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just here with my friend. I'm here with my friend and I'm happy. <laughs> well, share with us at least four other titles in the book, just so that we get a feel for the titles. Titles, sure. Um, so there's one that's called A Collage of Misery. Um, do you want to tell what it's about a little bit or just the titles? Just the titles. Just the titles. Okay, so Asylum, March 2020, Getting Ready, and Impudence. Those are four other titles. Would you like to hear those poems now? 
Or you were just telling me. <laughs> choose one of those. Yeah, choose, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. read one of those. I mean, yes. <laughs> we're all over the so, place, so just choose so one of those. <laughs> we are. I know. Okay, so I'm going to go for getting ready. You're so all funny. Right. All right, getting ready. Ah. The night before, you left your brown pants carefully pressed straight over the bedroom chair with your shirt, a simple polo, not the man-tailored button-down kind. A pair of weekend polished leather shoes you never wore, sneakers except to the garden with argyle stuffed inside and a light blue sweater neatly folded. You left your watch and college ring on the nightstand where you put them before bed every night. So proud of your master's degree, you wore your ring every day. I never asked if you came downstairs that morning in your pajamas, robe, and slippers to have breakfast or if you crumpled to the ground after showering. I never asked if mom sensed anything unusual that morning. Were you surprised? Did you call out for help? What were you thinking before your unplanned journey? For years until mom died, she left everything the way you left it. Dry cleaned your pants twice a month and draped them over the chair, laundered and pressed your shirt weekly shined your shoes, dusted your jewelry, replacing everything exactly, though sometimes she slipped your watch over her wrist and ring onto her finger. I never asked mom, as I watched her tend to your belongings, what happened that morning. The day after mom died, I returned home to look for both of you. I sat on the bed, crying, surrounded by your things. <sighs> so, Michael, that's the end of the one poem. If you wanted me to read more, just let me know. But that, that of course, is about my dad, you know, dying. What and all of his do things. you think, what do you think your work, you almost slipped this one in, what do you think your work okay. conveys about the human condition? You know, it's um, when I'm out and about, mm-hmm. I'm always wondering what people are going through in their days. You know, sometimes there's like, you know, anger in the street with people, you know, beeping at each Tell other. Me. And yes. I'm always thinking about, well, what are they going through? What got them here to this place that they're so upset, they're angry? Or, um, you know, there's a, a whole thing about, you know, if you're kind and you pass on kindness, it's, uh, you can really spread that. But there's something else that operates that we're all living in this, um, in these mini universes, and but we're we, we're constantly interacting. So I think that um, we have moments all through our lives, and I think that if someone can connect to something I'm writing, that I've I've done my job as a as a writer and an artist. I think that's what I'm always looking for. Because I, I want to know, like, what can I do to help, really? You know, that's, that's my spiritual space that I try to live in. I'm not always there, you know, but I'm always, I, I do think about, like, you know, sometimes people just need, you just need to say, hey, are everything okay? You know, yes. and, and really, and hope, and hope for an honest answer, not like, hey, are you doing okay? Yeah, sure, no problem, not that, mm-hmm. but really. Mm-hmm. So the, I, that's what I'm hoping my work is doing, is getting underneath those moments. 
Right. You know, it, people lose people, right? We all lose people. Yes, That's part we of need life. people. So true. So true. Yeah. Please, please share another set if you feel like it. Share, share another set. I'd love to hear more. Okay. <laughs> if you feel <laughs> like it. <laughs> if, if I feel like it. <laughs> I feel like it. It's okay. Okay, good. This one is called um, The Family Bank. The 1927 Little Red Brick Bank with White Marble Counters services my town. Bankers in black suits sit at large maple desks cleaned by invisible workers who labor after hours. Clerks in gray skirts and white tops work behind polished bronze grates. Velvet maroon ropes accentuate cues and oversized adding machines swallow inputted numbers producing paper ribbons. Mom dresses well on visits, slides cash into envelopes, greets tellers by name. I know lunchtime lines on Friday, paydays are long. The bank opens at nine, closes at three, and shuts down on weekends. Heavy stampers mark my first passbook at 10 with loud kachins. Deposits duly recorded, lollipops rewarded. Yet behind forced smiles, the pain of patrons sneaks its way into my childlike view. Frozen accounts, unavailable money, loans denied, men in fedoras angled down, women clutching black handbags that snap shut, children led by hand, sometimes escorted to exit by security guards. The day my father dies, mom applies makeup to visit the family bank emptying their safe deposit box and closing accounts before discovering our secret. Grief wrapped into one tight ball. Weeks later, when I return from college, mom tells me they offered condolences as she comes clean. Did they know when we were there that day, I asked? Sometime after mom died, I returned to the bank. May I help you, an employee inquires? The ambiance severe and plain, men still seated at desks and the women behind bulletproof partitions, gendered roles. None know my name or recognize me. Just looking, I say, and blush at my stupid remark. After an uncomfortable moment, a security guard follows me out. I drive out of town, back home, over the bridge. Um, and the next one, um, let me see here. I'm going to read, I think is, um, I'm going to read Rue. Rue as in sorrow. Years later, a hurt in my chest that screams too much. Maria surprises me in my classroom, carrying a small box of flowers, yellow sprays, bright red carnations, and waxy, unspoiled leaves a loving gesture for coming back too soon from surgery. I place the flowers on the scratched oak desk, stick fingers in the spongy styrofoam that keeps them fresh, embrace her as the floral scent reaches my nose, softening the hardness I feel towards the day. Before she came in, I was leaning against the radiator like I was back in my old Chevy Chevette 20 again, frightened and sore, running from tragedy and pain. Today, returning to 20 from 60, I'm willing to take a chance and rewarded with an act of kindness. I hold her longer than I should. 
And the last one in the set I wanted to read, um, Mike, was called Impudence. I can touch my rage at the world festering below the surface of my prickly skin. If I scratch myself with my fingernail, I can reach it. This rage boils my blood and picks indiscriminately at my sinews and muscles as I build a fortress against benevolence and merriment. I resist logic and dog reason and wisdom that comes with good sense. All that drains from me now, forever depleted. And what is left in its place taking up space is this rage at the world, at my world, unfathomable, immeasurable. I love that. That one came out with the title first. Almost really? exactly the way it is. Yeah. And then I say it's at the crazy politics of the world and the anger and mm-hmm. that I have towards everything. <laughs> yes, I understand. Uh, I guess I can say on your show, um, you know. Yes, this, of course. Right wing craziness that we experience, yes. and not just yes, we woof. Yes, we are. I think that's one of the reasons yeah. that I commune with you so much is that, again, you understand the human condition, you have empathy, and for people, and it's just a tough time right now, and that's okay to say. Oh it's okay to say. Yeah. To be real. Yeah. It's okay to say. It's okay yeah. To say. So as you think, and you may have already answered this, and you know how I am. I go over things over and over and over again. But if who's your audience, a broad range of readers, or are you targeting a specific group? You know, let's think about that for a second, because I don't think I target a specific group. I don't think I do that. Um, Only because I don't like excluding people. Okay. So I don't want anyone to feel like they can't access my work. You know, it's... I taught middle school for 27 years. I, oh, right. you know, some of my middle school kids, I think, have actually picked up my book um, and read parts of it, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But it's mostly I think, geared towards adults. It's not a, a, a YA book or some great YA books out there. I love to read YA as well, young adults. Um, but I think I'm trying to open it up and say um, I have a lot of people that tell me they don't read much poetry and they like to read my book. And, I, and I'm always so excited about that because I can say, oh, if you like this, definitely check out this poet and that poet. <laughs> and all of a sudden, um, we've opened up someone else, you know, to a world of poetry that's just growing. But I don't, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I do that. I don't ever, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing theater, you're definitely thinking about the audience and how they're going to react and who's coming in and all of that stuff. But anybody can come in. And then you're just got to perform for the people that are there, right? And even if you're doing spoken words, if there's two people in the audience or there's 60, perform for the people of the, there and you like, you welcome everybody into the space together. So you create this show. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So if I'm okay. standing in a line, if I'm standing in a line waiting to purchase your book and I happen to see you, mm. what would you tell me? What would you tell me before I pick it up, if anything? Mm. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. It's really been mm-hmm. a labor of love. Oh, and um, definitely take a look at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the God. 
pictures or the writing, so. go with the pictures. All right. <laughs> go that with the pictures. This is why I enjoy talking. Um, but, you know, when people are like, I'm at a, a book sale or a festival or something like that, and I'll say to people, go ahead and pick up the book and read a poem. Like it's, and it's totally fine if you don't want it. I'll still give you a big book, bookmark with a poem on it. So, you know, it's, it's really great to just meet people. It's not so much about, you know, it's great to sell the book. I love that. I love being able to share my writing. But I'm also just trying to communicate with readers and find people in community. So, yes. Yeah. You're, you're one of my favorites. <laughs> so <laughs> in, that, in that well of talent, do you have any more that you can share with us? More, you want more You would have read the whole book by the time that we finished. I know. All right. So let's see. Yeah. I guess. So you tell me. We, we, ta- we have time for like, what do you think? Three more poems? Let's see. Or really? Yes. Because I've got a couple more questions. So one, one poem, one question, one poem, one question. And we're almost okay. at the end of our journey. I'm going to read Asylum. March 2020. Madness here and there sprinkled on supermarket shelves. Raise your voice to be heard in your home alone or with a cat, a dog, a few children, your partner working or laid off. Walk but stand apart. Wait on the sidewalk. Step into the street while others pass on a one-way street. With two-way traffic, take turns, stay masked, convey warmth to strangers, joke about cabin fever, propel us from our sanctuaries. Strange how we've never seen these people before. Anonymous and liberated, I write at my computer, waiting for inspiration, a phone, my sole daily companion. I dress for work each day except for my shoes. Slippers offer more comfort, and I don't bother dyeing my hair. Yesterday it snowed on a spring day, normal for the in like a lion, out like a lamb, march natural confusion that carries a wealth of sadness with it, of things gone wrong, the only consistency, the madness that lay at the center of a slushy, imperfect storm. Today with the sun there is some hope, though we hear of sickness and death within our six degrees, royal decrees of old nailed to wooden doors with announcements of border closings and quarantines while our two children live far from us and every day feel farther i vowed not to write about the virus today but it came through anyway i fight the need to scream so that um that poem is actually going to also appear in a First Virtual, which is an online journal um, that I'm sharing. I'm sharing that with them as well. Um, and of course, we know what it's about. Um, mm-hmm. Really I trying do. to mark a little bit of history with that, right? Yes. You know, yes. For people to find it. Yeah. So you've because got you cover so much, <laughs> <laughs> you cover a lot of terrain. What did you learn about okay. yourself writing? Even the dog was quiet or tired. <laughs> what did you learn about yourself? <laughs> it was a quiet dog. Right. Um, it's a quiet dog. It's really not a quiet dog. Very well trained dog. I think what I've been learning is that I have a lot more stories to tell. 
that um, sometimes you feel as a writer that maybe you won't find the next story or poem. Um, so putting things into the universe, I'm also allowing the reader in and exposing myself. But, and that's risky and scary, but it feels right, you know? Yes. I, I, I'm also like, um, I feel like I'm only in this body, in this life once, so I'm going to make use of it. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I am now with putting everything out there. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I, where, what I've been discovering. So each, you know, I, I publish a lot of between, a lot of places mm-hmm. with all of my work. But assembling a book is very different. It's a, it's a birthing process, you know. Yes, I can understand. So, yeah. We're, yeah. We're going to try with this caller one more time because they've been okay. with us the entire <laughs> program. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they just got to in there. Let's see. Hello? Area code 917. You're on the air with Margaret. Good evening. Hi. Hi, Margaret. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Margaret? Hi. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be very, very exciting because I really got to, it was so entertaining tonight. And Margaret's going to be reading for Brownstone Poets on June 29th on Zoom. Patricia, this has got to be Patricia, yes? Yeah, Patricia Carragon. Oh, cool, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this is great. I'm getting excited. Yeah. So, oh, my God. <laughs> so she's going to be reading for me uh, June 29th with Ronald uh, Bremer and Jada Gordon. It's June 29th. Oh, Ronald. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody do knows Ronald, right? <laughs> do you have a question for Margaret, if any? I just uh, hopefully should be writing more of this good stuff because I'm enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) We're glad you're here. (laughs) You guys have been really doing the questions for me, so I'm just listening and enjoying it now. Okay. That's so great. I'm tired. I'm putting together the anthology, and uh, Margaret is in it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. and I'm right. meeting for Brownstone Poets, Michael, in um, in June, and the and their um, their organization is also uh, they're attached to Poetsware Prada, which is a publishing group. Yeah, Roxanne Hoffman. Partners, Roxanne wow. Hoffman. So it's really they're very very powerful poetry people. Is what I would well, say. Fantastic. Yeah. And thank Robbie. you for and your permission, Margaret. All right. <laughs> Thank I'm going to be sending out another email in the very near future because I only have like 50 of my people. It's <laughs> work. Okay, we've got to conclude the uh, family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, caller. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. <laughs> Margaret, we're okay. almost at the end yeah. of our journey. <laughs> this has been the world. And it has been another journey, Do you have one more poem in you? <laughs> I just want more. Yeah. So, should I go long or should I go short? Michael, tell me. What do you think? I got two more, but one is short and one is long. In terms of whatever And long Whatever's on your heart, whatever you feel you need to share, it's time. Let's do this. 
Okay, this is our sad. Well, it's our time, actually. So here we go. It's called The Collage of Misery. I think you'll like this one. Civil War buffs and tourists drive the open and preserved Gettysburg battlefield, wandering this national park by car, bus, and on foot. A Pennsylvania cornfield where soldiers fought and died, blood saturated the soil. Confederates marched from the shores of the Susquehanna River across sacred lands of massacred tribes of the Potomac, Delaware, and Chesapeake, converging here and in Gettysburg. On Cemetery Hill, overlooking Union soldiers' graves, a honey locust looms. The witness tree, now 179 years old, whose lifespan should be only 100, sits in a grove that was cleared quickly to bury the dead. She stands watch an eternal flame, providing a backdrop for Lincoln's address and comfort for all who come to mourn. The land is tired. The ghosts skim the earth as the living share stories. There's a monument erected to pregnant Elizabeth and other women in Evergreen Cemetery. Six months into childbearing, she buried 100 soldiers. It had to be done. The newspaper reporter searching for his eldest son finds his body in an abandoned military hospital. Surgeons fled, leaving his son and others to die alone. And what of the two lone black soldiers? Henry Wood reinterned from Alms House Cemetery 21 years after the war and Charles Parker giving his resting place 73 years later. Good enough to fight, not good enough to rest beside whites in segregated cemeteries. These grounds hallowed and hollowed are a collage of misery. The dead speak to the living in a singular voice from little known and famous stories, from the blood-soaked earth, through erected monuments, through a legacy of native names, pains of tragedy, suffering, fear, tears, and a tree spared unknowingly, keeping watch on their souls. That's the end of that poem. You know, Thank you for sharing that because it goes back to our conversation prior to the show that Black History yes. Month is American History Month, that we're all involved. We should all have a resting place together, not separate, mm-hmm. not, not 73 yes. years later. You know, that means your spirit is wandering around for 73 years. Yes. Until it's embraced I know. by That's the populace. That's why I wanted to spirit. Yeah. Yes. I know. I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. It's a fitting yeah. poem for this time. Where can we yeah, purchase? So where can we purchase? Eat? Oh, yeah. it is. I had something funny to say. That if you walk okay. into the store to Amazon and you say, "I I want this book called Even the Dog Was Tired," and then the clerk says, no, no. "You mean Even the Dog Was Quiet?" Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> even, <laughs> that's the one. Even the dog was quiet. Oh Where can we God. purchase the book, my friend? Um, can purchase where it? can you purchase the book? So you can do, like most online stores are carrying it now because it goes through Ingram Publishing. So you can certainly get it at Barnes & Noble and Amazon, but also Goodreads and a bunch of independent stores. Like it's mm-hmm. in, um, online in Powell's in Portland, Oregon, um, which is one of my favorite stores ever. It's such a great store. Yes. But like my my um, it's also where I live in Montclair. There's an independent store called Iris Imprints, and it's there. 
um, it's in libraries if you wanted to, uh, certain libraries around. Um, but if you'd like to purchase it and you're not sure where to go, just come to my website and all the information is there. It's uh, margaretsarico.com. Can't be harder, mm -hmm. uh, easier than that, right? Yes. <laughs> HTTPS, right? But yeah, they yes. can definitely come and um, I love to connect with people. So it's right. great if you're, if you're looking or you have feedback for me, please come and visit my website. Let me know what you think. Yeah. My friend, <laughs> where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? I'm sure there's something creatively. turning around. Oh, gosh. You know, there's always a project or two. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, mean, you know. actually, I, I was feeling a little bit, like, anxious the other day. So I thought, I really need to pull out my novel. And so I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I revised the first 17 chapters of my novel. <laughs> so I'm back in that. Okay. 17 chapters. There's like 50 chapters, right? And I'm, I'm getting better at it. It's just like with a book of, okay, so to be real, when you're writing a novel, you need a lot more focus and time. And as soon as I retired, I wrote two poetry books. So now it's like, okay, do I have that time to work on this? It's, it's going to be a great novel, I think. I, I like it. <laughs> um, I'm also <laughs> contemplating two more books of poetry. They're at the beginning stages. I'm not sure where they're going to go yet, but I'm also thinking about like a multi-genre artistic piece. So I've got all of these ideas out there. And I, I also um, I like writing plays, so I'm starting to go back into that. You know, now that I've published my second book, I seem I have time, but I don't really. <laughs> where is your audio book? Where is your audio book? I want the audio book. You got that. You, you speak with a New York sensibility. Where, where is your, yeah, yeah. your audio book? I don't, I don't have an audio book. Um, <laughs> I know, well, I, that's what I'm saying. About that, right? yeah, I know, I know, I know. I've actually, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do an e-book. I, I know that people like to read e-books, but I think poetry you have to hold in your hand, but certainly okay. listening to it might be fun. So that would be yes, fun to do. Yeah, I'm going to yes. put that on my All list, right. Michael. All right, all right. <laughs> Well, we've reached the end of our poetic journey, and I want to thank you. Wow. I may have said it before during your last trip here that you are a gift. I won't just say to the poetic universe. I'll say to the writing universe. I enjoy oh. your work. I think you're phenomenal. Oh, thank you. And I wish you nothing but continued oh. success. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure being here with you. We've done this twice, and it's just so, it's so fun and interesting. And, you know, your questions, and we've talked about this before, it's, uh, they really they bring up a lot of reflection as a writer. So I think you offer that as to, your, to your guests as a way mm -hmm. to, like, dig deeper. And that's really lovely. So thank you. Well, I think that one thing you said in terms of providing the uh, – Paul – Paul Richmond, providing mm -hmm. the, the person with the room to breathe, leaving that space, mm -hmm. that really struck me. So you tell him when you see him mm -hmm. that that, <laughs> okay, that really, that was great because I never thought about that. I never thought about providing someone space to breathe, especially if in my life I didn't have an opportunity to breathe during that period. You see what I'm saying? Right. I don't know. Yes, just, I do. We, yeah. We can talk about that Breath one later. Work is amazing. Yes, and plan okay. another program. <laughs> All right. <laughs> for your third trip back. All right, then. Everyone, I want to thank you for joining us again. The book is Even the Dog is Quiet. Go out, buy it somewhere in the universe. I 
love that word. And as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Margaret. Take care. Good night, Michael. Bye-bye. Still craving poetry? Hundreds of episodes of the quintessential listening poetry online radio and YouTube podcast are available to listen to or download on iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. To learn more about this popular podcast or how to become a guest, visit www.ql. P-O-R-Y-T dot com. Till next time, take care and let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land.